space. All, all right, we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and we're your hosts, Nate and Tony. Hello. Uh, dude, we have the fucking best guests in the world, man. We got Andreas Exertus. Dude, uh, I really love your intro, by the way. That was banging. What? <laughs> Thanks, brother. Yeah. Shout out to Caleb Brown. He made my intro for me. He's the band. Uh, brothers, uh, we're so stoked to have you. Um, I've been listening to you, I think, like everywhere I fucking can, man. And every <laughs> single time, it's a different, unique fucking. You never cover your, your, your old tracks. Like, is there anything you don't know about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the Machine Gun Kelly said it better than Socrates. All I know is I don't know nothing. And that's that's as we get to the more you're aware of your ignorance, the more you can actually ask a bunch of questions. And then people are like, oh, well, he's asking a bunch of questions. He must know a lot. No, I mean, I'm still asking all the questions. That's all yeah. it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, that's fun, man. You start asking a bunch of questions. You start getting a bunch of answers. But then you get, like, way more fucking questions. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's fun, man. So I mean, you want to tell her uh, know everything? Don't ask questions, right? I think yeah, the, those are fucking dill holes. Yeah, they're <laughs> no fun. Andres, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm Andreas. You can go to Andreas.me or you can go to Andreas Exertus or Exertus.com. I mean, I've got, I'm all over the internet. I have Andreas Exertus on Twitter and then my YouTube channel is Exertus. I've got a lot of videos there, but you can find them right from Andreas.me and it'll take you to Odyssey, YouTube, whatever. And, you know, that's a good way to find my content. In terms of who I am and what I do, I guess I, I used to do social media for like the Babylon system when I worked at CNN and I learned about fake news a lot and how it becomes old really quickly and then it becomes a fake history. So kind of if you can take apart fake news, you might be able to take apart fake history and that's a big part of what I've been spending my time doing. Uh, and I've traveled around the world and seen a lot of things. And, you know, I've been pretty lucky. So, Fucking A, man. I think you're one of the funnest people online, man. I've been just really enjoying it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I try to be like, so someone asked me the other day, they said, um, you know, something about history classes and everything. And I, I think a big thing is like, who are your mentors or whatever. And I was thinking about my teachers who were, were really cool and made history sexy because I had teachers who talked about how they were like spies in the Civil War and things like that. And I don't think everyone did. And maybe that's a, a reason why people are like, I don't really care about this or they, they latch on to aspects that were kind of a bummer. So I just kind of still want to present the the passion I have and remind people like you can find this like really interesting stuff connected to your life and you'd be surprised how connected to your life it is you're like wait a second dude my great great grandfather was there or something every yeah. time you know? <laughs> yeah I no, know i mean it's about curious people sorry tony what would you say buddy i, said, I know nothing about spies in the civil war i never mm. even made that i mean i'm sure there were but i dude. never even made that connection tony, there were so many spies <laughs> I was just going to say, Tony, you're going to get your head rocked right now because literally fucking this guy, he just goes off on shit and it's the <laughs> best thing in the world. I love it. <laughs> well, thank thank you for thank you for that warning because that actually helped me calm down about I was like, oh, wait, I do do that. Oh, he's right. But I would have said um, that during the Civil War, there were so many spies. How many were there? There were so many spies that they had to they had to suspend habeas corpus. And so they could just arrest you for any amount of time without any crime. This is Lincoln's you know, whole thing after the Knights of the Golden Circle. And so there was a group at one point where on both sides, there was a guy who was arrested who was part of some secret society group that was trying to build this Havana, Cuba, capital, new world with, with slaves and everything. 
uh, when he got arrested, a bunch of Confederates put on a bunch of black clothes and a bunch of Yankees put on a bunch of black clothes and they started bombing Philadelphia until they got the guy out. And after that, that was kind of the, you know, they knew at that point that they had to deal with this huge slave rebellion. And then there's all these air balloons to fly over and get reconnaissance. So the amount of things that were going on in the Civil War, we don't talk about with tunnels, air balloons, slaves, and then the Pinkertons, right? And the Pinkertons kind of evolve into the FBI, but they were their own private corporation. It was like FedEx that got incorporated of, of private uh, detectives. So hundreds of thousands of detectives, you know, a million spies or more. It was crazy, crazy time to be alive, you know? <laughs> Fuck, man. I, you need to be a history teacher. You kind of are. You fucking kind of are, man. In a way, like people that listen to your YouTube channel, they're they're going to fucking college, man. I mean, I, I definitely think that YouTube could be in like video series and in, in general can be um, educational, uplifting, and you can learn a bunch of stuff. And part of the, the truth of it is I am trying to bend um, society's understanding of this stuff out of the paranormal, out of the into the mainstream, because so much of this stuff is literally just mainstream history at this point. But it's been forgotten. It's been ignored. It hasn't been reanalyzed since they've since somebody since all of these contributors over the last 20 30 years have been trying to fix the history so it's not even really that i've got like some rebellion against the mainstream and i'm, I'm finding out more and more i'm surprised by things like smithsonian who forever you look into their history and how it happened and it's not quite as innocuous as it sounds and like maybe there's some hidden bones here and there of giants mm -hmm. and things like stories right but that's then, on my list to talk about oh well, <laughs> i love just, that just really yeah. quickly i had recently <laughs> heard that there was a reasonable explanation for why they had disappeared the bones and it had to do with certain tribal rights that had claimed that those bones had to be buried a certain way and that they'd been disrupted interesting and so, yeah and so i was like oh okay so there's a lot of there's a lot of sides to everything we're hearing about even from the smithsonian that's fucking fascinating, man. Yeah, because I mean, I was definitely going to dig into that about like the Nephilim and maybe how they got here and maybe how because the Native Americans definitely talked about giants, man, and big redheads that would fucking like rape and cannibalize and murder and the mound builders and all that shit. Yeah. So fucking fascinating. Dude, uh, Peru came up recently and I talked straight with the Airy Bros. And we we're talking all about the locations in Chile and Peru where the giant redheads with their uh, elongated skulls are. And it's interesting when you look into Egypt and Peru, because head binding is a thing for both of these cultures that are built around ziggurats, these like, you know, step pyramid structures. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's just so many weird commonalities, regardless of how society tangents out trying to do the thing that they're all yeah. emulating. But it's even more than just head binding though. Right. Because like there's their, their skulls actually are bigger too. Right. They, well, like the, the, so there's a lot there's a lot to be said about the gene flow of the different kinds of homo sapiens and yeah almost every kind of homo sapien that or every other kind of hominid that we think of uh in this long line it's not true it's actually gene flow simultaneously right yeah and yeah so yeah they're coming over and back and forth and so we're finding this idea of homo capensis and people have argued whether or not homo capensis exists it's still not mainstream like the the y chromosome has to be fully mapped and haplotypes back to haplotype o in order to be sure uh, if this exists but we do see genetic evidence that it's a very different looking thing and it's unique to like three or four major places that have again unique ziggurats they have these pyramid things which are not quite pyramids they're they're step buildings but they're yeah you know they're they're they quack like a duck so there's something to that 
Um, there was, there's another thing I want to say about the Peruvians. Uh, with, with the building of these temples and everything that they had also, it looks like they're built on top of another uh, monumental site as well and that they've been reconstructed. So that's something I brought up in a video recently with you and Junior. So much of it's been changed. They've implemented, you know, people come in and say, oh, this is what it's really about. You know, the, the mestizo cultures that are partially uh, Spanish, you know, they've been made more Spanish. They're going back and reanalyzing everything. And, the, and what ends up happening is we have this exaggeration of the archaeology by the locals that, who are now moved in. And it's the same thing that happened in the 19th century with Egyptian mytho um, mythology about the yeah. ancient Egypt. They said, oh, this is what ancient Egypt was like. It was this thing. But it, it's just sometimes you've got an anthropologist who's trying to make themselves seem really like get famous. So they say, oh, I found this amazing thing and it represents this and I understand it. And they create these elaborate stories. So it's been kind of that's something to consider in terms of the, the Peruvian narrative. And it looks like what we have also is Easter Island, you know, um, looking at that picture on the reality stars, it reminded me your picture of the lizard and the primate it uh, as kings, you know, next to each other. It reminded me of the there's a show, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, which is from like 1996 or 1997. But it was like total watch with my son for sure. Yeah. Total disclosure, right? There's a bit where the this like ancient alien Nibiru guy who's giant and has this giant head who looks exactly like the Easter Island skulls is genetically modifying with like electricity, these strapped down um, primates near volcanoes. Right. And then they get trapped in a volcano. And there's, a, you know, these are the kinds of stories though, that you hear over and over again in the mythology around Peru and Bolivia too, the Kuroiko um, pygmies. They're, they're, they're from Africa, realistically. They're black pygmies that have been brought on boats, we're told. But were they brought on boats or did they bring themselves on boats earlier? Their official stories is they came over in a deluge, right? And so all of the stories that we have that conflict, we're just told, oh, well, their mythology mixed it up. Our official records that we have are better. And they tell us that the Spanish were in charge of this trading empire right here. But... You know, the more you go back, you see that there's people that have been traveling there, right? There's thousands of years of, of interaction going back. So if the Moors have been there and if the Moors are part of this bigger empire, it's even older than that. Then, yeah, we start looking at this idea of a, a triangulated trade network. And so it's not a war. We're, we're, we're pretty sure of that. This is a, an environmental disaster destroyed society. But they weren't warring so much. So what's the deal with that? And so it looks like, you know, and we've heard this in school, even triangular trade and triangular trade is weird because the time that the United States and Britain and all these, you know, in Portugal are in triangular trade. They're not really a uh, trade based society. They are war based society. Yeah. But if you look at the idea of a triangular trade, it just shows it's very practical to avoid winter. You have an endless summer of trade. So things from one side could get brought to the other side. Things continue to develop. Um, and you have families that are mercantile class that live in both places. And then they start to fragment out and create their own societies as well. So it's, it makes perfect sense that this is what happened is you have this trade network that's keeping some stability up until whatever kind of collapse happens. And, you know, it looks like volcanoes, right? You have Krakatoa, you have Kepi Fregri, you have examples of volcanoes that took out this society and then the next society after that is obsessed with protecting its resources 
And so that's I heard you mention something. Uh, I think I can't remember who you were talking to, but what is the deal with uh, nuclear volcanoes? There's a few nuclear volcanoes, and those could have been man-made. Well, is okay, that something so, that? I mean, we can roll. Uh, we're speculating. Yeah, here. Well, <laughs> o- o- so in in reality, Oclo, in Oclo, Gabon in in Africa, there are 16 nuclear linear accelerator style reactors that are supposed to be natural reactors and they've really explored at least like two to seven of them but there was a uh, the french controlled the region still do and they were trying to get rid of any evidence uh, of this it looks like or also make sure it was easy for them to continue mining and they were worried that if this was all looked at they're going to you know so they just bombed big areas of the area so they could mine and so we only have seen maybe two to seven of them in gabon and okla Okay, lo, but what we can sh- we can show is the depletion of uranium, which is not supposed to happen naturally, and that there's uh, plutonium that's produced, and theoretically only humans can produce plutonium, which is again this is not true. Probably it can be produced naturally in some way, and at the end of the day, what we're going to find out is how we're going to do it through nature. So one way or another, uh, it connects to this idea that that it's better to use biomimicry or geomimicry to create something than to have some human system that's totally um, against the grain. Right. Yeah. But it might literally be that, you know, this is examples of an ancient civilization. And a lot of people suggested that it took decades to come up with a theory to describe how it could be natural instead. Anyway, like literally 30 years to come up with something. And it's not a really great long winded paper either. It just has to do with how, deposits in terms of pressure work and that there could be literally I mean, there, there literally could be some natural progression if you put certain things next to each other though so i mean that's the the question it looks to me though like an example of uh ancient civilization and that's what it looked like for 30 years until someone could come up with a natural reactor theory um yeah and there are there are many others and that's the thing it's a it's not a unique phenomenon so there are marine volcanoes where there are nuclear reactions occurring and we're not aware of like how much water vapor. yeah that's another <laughs> the other thing is the shifting of continents and the yeah. stories we've heard about land moving not just because of like tectonic plates but literally volcanoes erupting pulling islands down pushing islands up creating new islands we don't know how many islands exist in polynesia because it's not a constant it's a variable you know yeah they, they rise and fall so and China right now in the South Sea, China is using this to their advantage by creating islands. They're they're using uh, geothermal spots that they submarine down into the water and they pull up resources to create these islands. And then they're able to defend within 100 miles outside of their false Are they way more advanced than us or they just have different priorities? Because that priority. sounds cool as fuck. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're doing it too. And, we're yeah. everyone, everyone's building islands, and you know, there are even people that uh, are building islands. Uh, Ian Cross and I have a friend who's built plastic islands with uh, plastic bags of bottles, and then put compost in them and start building floating islands. But uh, you know, the military have islands. Saudi Arabia has built huge islands. Uh, when you start to look into how as, the Aztec built Mexico, essentially Mexico City was built on a lake uh, or yep. a gulf. So, so much of, so much of our, our civilization, the RLC, this was done to Egypt is likely dried out in mm-hmm. some part because of the moving of water to the Nile. I mean, the, the evidence I'm finding more and more that shows that they dammed up the Asuit from 
Ethiopia because the white and blue Nile run into Egypt from the south, right into the north, into, you know, into uh, Thebes and Luxor. And they were used to three seasons. There's no winter time and they don't have so, so much of a third season so much as weather change except for everywhere else changes so they get the third season as a flood so they have flood season and they have dry season and then they have kind of this monsoon rain season just a little bit and they go through the three seasons in egypt and it's all of a sudden it was cut off when they started to divert water towards the uh, giza plateau what is so i've heard this before and i i'm curious because you probably know the answer to this uh was the sahara desert at one time was that all like lush uh like like areas to grow and things like that and they just destroyed it by growing wheat did the roman empire really just like most of uh it most of it was water for a long time and then there were uh, fields in some area. Okay, so but originally it was mostly water. So you have the Mega mm. Chad and you have the Mega Congo and you have these huge lakes like Chad, the, the state of Chad in parts of Libya and into Egypt with this giant lake. And then there's another giant lake in Uganda. And there were um, river systems that ran from Morocco through Egypt to the other side into Saudi Arabia, like all the way across um Egypt and all all the way across Libya and all the way across uh, Cameroon and so these huge river systems you could take canals to get from North Africa Northwest Africa down to Southeast Africa and vice versa you could take river systems and literally connect virtually all of the continent and that's, that's not as long neat. ago it's not as long ago as people think if you start to recognize feedback loops and environmental change it's funny because some of these things people talk about climate change that's where it really applies to something that's real and you can look at like in our lifetime in 50 years something that your science teacher told you took 50 million years can be accomplished right and so all of these places that we think of as being um these these deserts these barren deserts well like for instance the opposite of the tonga explosion just about january right the the antipod the antecenter of the tonga explosion was in uh this part of west alexandria that was known for being a oasis city let's see if i can remember the name like the two rivers egypt ancient and that I recall the name of the, the land between two rivers. Um, okay, it's okay. I'll recall for now. I'll, I'll remember later. I can't <laughs> That's all good. Uh, I have another random question for you because we're talking about islands. We're talking about this, that, and the other. What? So I know one. I know one of the answers here. But what is your idea on the shape of this planet? Like, <laughs> well, I know that's fun. Oh. So mathematically speaking, the everything is inside of uh, a giant universe or multiverse, right? One way or the other, right? So if it, in terms of frequency or not, whether it's a universe or multiverse, but it's it's something bigger than just the planet, arguably. So it, everything is in a holographic universe. We have an electrostatic universe where everything is essentially flat. I mean, so theoretically, if the universe is flat, then everything in it has to be flat. That gets a little closer to stimulation theory, Um and simulation theory, I think, is missed out on because people talk about simulation theory, but in the Matrix, everyone's still plugged in, right? There's still a sim- stimulation, right, of something going on. Huh. So, but okay. the ve- the Veda talks about the world got flattened by uh, overpopulation, and you know that Vishnu had to burrow the world out because it sank into itself, into huh. hell, and pull out. 
So there's there yeah. are a lot of stories about this kind of metaphysical quality that's um, flat. And but in terms of reality in general, I think that that's a that's a more that's a more mystical question than people realize. I think it's just a scientific question and. Um, you know, I leave that to like Eric DeBay, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's fun, dude. I really love the whole concept that maybe we're on like a flat realm and that that the earth is just endless. Like people are talking about like islands past, you know, and there's like there's endless land and dude, that's so much fun. It just made me think about when you're talking about islands. But you also you're really into the hollow earth theory, correct, too? Right, yeah. That's a fun one too. I like it's interesting that, that they, people think that the world is so explored in every direction, but you know, you think about going down, um, it's not, we go maybe three tunnels that are eight miles deep. The Soviet union had one, the military had one, uh, or has one, you know, in the Mariana trench. And then there's a, a third one being built right now. Some MIT uh, group wants to do in order to build these geothermal energy plants. So they, can, they can run the entire planet off of hollow earth fusion. Right getting energy from the center core. And there's a lot of questions about, is this going to be ionized? Uh, but extremophiles are finding crazy life forms that look in the ground. The volcano snails. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, it's like, those are pretty crazy. I mean, it looks like a dragon. If it was a, a bigger animal, and it's already pretty big. If it was any bigger, I mean, you're, that thing would it'd be terrifying. So How big I mean, are they? I mean, they could be about this big. Yeah, yeah. Like, so that's like so half. crazy, man. I love sea snails. I'm a, I'm a chef by trade. Like, nice. I want to eat one of these. How the fuck do you cook it? If it can, <laughs> can I don't know. I wonder if, like, with extremophiles, if you can eat. Um, first off, obviously, the shell is made out of like metals. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you probably couldn't do that. But the the meat itself probably has like arsenic, and the blood's not um, iron based. It's it's a copper based thing, right? So there's so many little things yeah. in the way that are different that it's it, we, when we think about how something is alien mm -hmm. i mean that's that's like the closest definition we really have or things from our own world that are just completely against all of our own rules you know that's so fascinating man yeah what's his name life will finds a way you know yeah it's fucking wild man that uh, so let's see from santa cruz actually right like the jurassic park yeah. uh, chaos doctor from ucsc <laughs> Let's talk Hollow Earth, man. Let's. Uh, so I, I'd also heard about that. Uh, sorry, the hole in Russia. Did they see? I, I hear rumors, and I don't know if that's true or not. They tried to dig down. That's man-made, right? And they, right. They so hit. Tunnel. It's like it's like eight miles down. They couldn't go any further, and it screams. Like if you, I, I, uh, I, you can look up the sounds that the tunnel makes, and it's on Wikipedia. And it just it's called like the hell t tunnel or something like that tunnel to hell because it just the sound waves or whatever it is it's just it screams like it sounds like thousands of voices screaming out in in hell it's just ter terrifying <laughs> so they they've covered the thing up with this uh, metal plate um, and again it's like very far from anybody in the Soviet Union because it's it's not near people. So people rarely go out to, to look at it, but it's been covered up because it's just terrifying that it screams that loud. So, I mean, but the question How far uh, across is it? How wide is it? Do you know? It's a small hole. There's their holes only maybe like a foot uh, wide. Really? It's an auger that went straight down. Yeah. yeah. They could drill a hole. Me, I mean, and that's kind of the thing is you'll be able to build uh, with the Mariana trench. They were able to go much bigger and have bigger drill systems and, 
in in California, you have this sort of etch-a-sketch thing. So I did a Vice special where we we're looking for Hollow Earth, and they had us going to Shasta and all these places. And one of the things we realized is, you know, Santa Cruz and all these places up to Shasta where the rocks are, there are rocks there still, but the beaches are covered in the silica sand, which can keep the heat, can keep the it, it, it's an etch-a-sketch. But you could create patterns that open up tunnels and then close up again. So it kind of it's a perfect sealant to uh, any sort of tunnel system so realistically that's what the military has been using already is you have a series of tunnels that are blocked with sands that can be pushed aside and then recovered again and the same thing with lava and feral fluid i mean nuclear we're talking about nuclear power plants using feral fluid to hold the reactors so that they melt if they turn off and then they just turn off naturally if there's any sort of overreaction or you know regardless this kind of technology though is clearly if it exists already and we looked at feral fluid and you, know, you can watch YouTube videos of them using it. Yeah. I mean, there are tunnel systems that already exist. Dumbs, the Boeing uh, tunnel systems that existed before the, the uh, boring company and the boring company. Now there's the, have you seen Pentaveret? They have this whole thing where I just started watching that. That's really funny, dude. It's yeah. really fun. I'm actually enjoying it. I'm only like two episodes in, but I, I think if you're already two episodes <laughs> in, then I'm not ruining it for you by telling you like yeah. secrets out of Croatia. And so that's hilarious as a Croatian that they chose Dubrovnik as the capital for the conspiracy, but they also, they're using tunnel systems that are clearly very old. You know, they're saying that they've had these tunnel systems for centuries. So I mean, it continually resurges this idea that there are uh, in-use facilities and tunnel systems. And again, with Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, right? Because they have like, uh, the world is separated. The, the Admiral Bird world has just been separated and they're using a volcano to keep a microclimate going. I mean, it could easily be part of the explanation. Then there's also the Godzilla movies. And I wasn't even that big into Hollow Earth at this time. I just do all kinds of research, right? And they were asking if I wanted to do someone was looking for someone who's interested in talking about hollow earth. That's how I got to do the vice thing. Um, and I was like, okay, why are they, why are they pushing that? Well, of all the things, you know, what is it that they want us to research about hollow earth? And again, then came out the Godzilla movie and the sequel. And there is something about hollow earth that is pervasive because they're saying there's another society that is powerful that they're working with. That's, that's all, yeah. all the myths, all the mining myths from the 1800s and from Chile and Peru, they have the same stories in the mountains. There's this advanced civilization. So I, I, I wonder more and more about it because my thing is to look for extremophiles and whatever is reasonably scientific, but yeah, I'm not against the idea that there could be a civilization that survived. I mean, that's what the Peruvians said, even that they went underground for a hundred years uh, and some of them didn't come back. Right when the uh, when the last reset went, so it always comes back to the reset in Hollow Earth. Yeah, man, it's super fascinating. We had a guy on. Uh, do you know Arya Sulin? <sighs> Sounds really familiar. Uh, I, Paradigm I mean... Threat is his website. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I love that guy, man. And we were talking about Hollow Earth, and he was talking about basically in his world, it's kind of like a flat donut. And it like it goes in the North Pole, comes out the South Pole, and that's what like creates the electric universe. Like this, it's fucking fascinating, man. And he was talking about how uh, the Nazis, like that was the whole thing about how the Nazis actually did. Yeah, I guess through the South Pole, I think in Antarctica, and there's still Nazis there. I don't know if that's true. 
but it's fucking cool. I mean, there's, there's Nazis everywhere. I love it, man. Nazis, yeah, yeah. You know, but realistically, what's, what's weird... There's Nazis in Ukraine right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, there's a lot of people that label themselves after a group that no one ever... I mean, no yeah. one ever called themselves a Nazi in Germany, right? So that's an interesting yeah. thing. It's a Hollywood... They didn't even call themselves Germans. It's a, it's a Exactly. It's a Hollywood name for a villain that people yeah. are ascribing to themselves. So they might want to look a little deeper before they, they do that that way. I think. But yeah, yeah. You, you can look at our Antarctica and you can see that the Germans transferred a lot of their property to the Argentina, Argentinians. And there are still groups that have the control of the Antarctica bases. Uh, North Pole is a little different. There's a lot of islands in the North Pole. There's a lot of groups in the North Pole. If you start looking again for submarine mining companies, you will find Swiss companies. You'll find Tierra Mars, uh, the group that Maxwell started that are you know they're in the commons building and you'll find on google maps right like these in the middle of the ocean there's just this one little spot here and there where there's a tunnel straight down a tube and there's a little platform and some oil drilling compounds are there right but it's more than an oil drilling compound because it's a submarine volcano mining compound where they can get all kinds of metals and you'd be surprised mm. what the pimples pop on the back side of the earth you know like oh, bad, metals that are pretty valuable what are they hiding in the Antarctic? Do you know? Do you have any, or do you have any uh, like theories? Like, why aren't we allowed to go and explore the Antarctic? Well, I mean, it, on one hand, it's pretty reasonable that if you're about to have a reset and you're trying to turn this other place into the next place that survives whatever goes wrong everywhere else, you want to keep it isolated from everyone but the the few, right? And it's it's kind of that uh, doomsday project in and of itself they're saying whatever happens everywhere else we have to make sure this place is ready for when that happens and they've always openly said that you look at the un and they've got the entire meeting is around this white triangle with plants in the center of it representing antarctica with uh, land being grown in the center to to grow out the continent right so they, they have a lot of they have a lot of things there already though because for the last few centuries They've been having more and more interaction with these groups that have been saying that they're, in, you know, what are they? Are they really talking to the Thule or is that really what's going on? Who's to say? I'm not against it. I'm not against the concept that there really are two civilizations that are simultaneous. One is in a much higher position to control the other. That's a very who's to say that's true, though. I mean, what we do know is that they have built a military compound designed for the reset. And if you want to go there. You have to go through the craziest program. Uh, you have to wait 19 days in New Zealand. And when you get there, you could die, you know, and I've had friends who've died. And I have a friend whose dad, like, you know, it's sad. I was talking to him recently again. Like, he knows he'll never find out what happened, why his son died, because he was a researcher from UCSC in San Diego and gone down uh, in an Antarctica trip. It just had died in some sort of unexplained situation. And they never explained what happened. Um and so yeah, this goes on more wild. More. Yeah. yeah I mean, and then I had another So Tim's brother, Chris, was there and talked about how you know, he's in the army or the, uh, in the army that they were bringing shipments of condoms to them, like for all the scientists. So I don't know. I mean, that doesn't really mean anything, but just like it was like he thought it was really strange, like how many condoms they were going through or what the reason <laughs> was or what's going on. In is there some sexy alien down there? Or... <laughs> I mean, as one myself, I guess the reason yeah. scientists are sexy themselves. And like, yeah, I was, I, but that's why I didn't want to, it wasn't why I didn't want to go. It was mainly because of the death thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, random questions here. I guess before we, because at some point we're going to get to Tartaria, but um, 
I have a couple questions for you. What are your thoughts on interdimensional beings? What are your thoughts on, uh, in your opinion, have you had any like paranormal experiences at all? So I, I am more open to non-causality, to uh, the Berenstain uh, shift kind of idea, Mandala effects, even a little bit mm-hmm. more than some people. I noticed like Tim didn't believe that the uh, cornucopia was really with the, the cornucopia on the fruit of the loom. He's like, that never existed. I'm like, okay, well, you're from another dimension. Like that's, that's a lot easier for me to accept than the, the cornucopia. But so, I mean, I'm open-minded a lot. Um, I did a video recently with my friend Jeremiah, the engineer on tachyons and superluminous faster than speed of light, et cetera, you know, travel and data and energy and what he thinks about as well as a mainstream scientist. And I kind of agree with the idea of resonance and spin states affecting our idea of polarity, magnetism, gravity. A lot of these ideas don't really exist in so much as you can't just call everything a hoax, right? But what it is, what it really is, is like there's a spin state and spin state frequencies have harmonic measurement and, and resonance. And you can set them up to spin in ways that will completely change what we understand of weight. And you can make it literally be rising up in terms of polarity. And we, so these kinds of things we've proven and seen, and I've seen them do it in a lab, you know, like we're able to, to manipulate quantum spin states. The other thing is harmonic resonance. I think this also weighs into what shape your uh, experience of the world is in, in an electro holographic universe. Yeah. I mean, like there are people that have been trained to experience everything inside out and the other direction and flat and sphere and whatever, because you're taking all this data, which is really just pong. You know, you just got this data that's like banging into itself. And if it has this much mass, and this is a 10 time larger amount than that mass, then you're going to have the amount of interactions into an entropic curve known as the pi number, right? It'll be 3.1415. That'll be how many clicks you'll have on this flat beast. And you'll consider that to be a curve right because that's that's mm-hmm. how we calculate it and experience it and holographically is confusing because a lot of times holographs are solid photos so imagine a moving you know holograph but it literally that's that's what you're doing you're capturing density in par density like the photoactive radiation par density and photoactive radiation is a way more complicated thing when we start to ask about light itself that changes everything we understand about being we think that we're so much more i mean really a lot well so much of what we think we are has to do with light ba- banging into us you know if it, mm-hmm. if that, that's degrading you that's defining your age that's if you're being superman right superman is literally because he's a different uh light source a red sun and so the, the yellow sun he's got more power because of it everything we know about what defines us has to do with what's looking at us, what what's reflecting off of us. Right. And then there's this mm-hmm. coherency idea of radio. So are we uh, changing ourselves to align with each other more and more? And it looks like we are over using radio. It seems like radio is radio bangs us into submission and, and forms us into the same shapes. You ever been to like a festival and you're standing in front of a speaker and you just feel like triangle sine waves going through your steroids i mean your body can be changed by radio in so many ways as well so mm-hmm. then there's this idea of demon from what does it really mean like when you're talking about interdimensional spirits or demons right the soviet i'm sorry the the ancient slavics folk, folk people said that uh they said that the spirits that of a person and all of his actions could end up being a ghost that becomes a demon 
So if you're obsessed with money, you could become this like money obsessed entity that was your actions in your lifetime will survive beyond your life, right? So you could also imagine in a program, you know, you've got these programs designed to serve these purposes or daemons. I think a lot of these things rise and are created by the, our, our consciousness. And then they end up being on multiple levels of radio. And then, of course, you've got mind control and you have people acting on the alpha state, theta states, omega and uh, gamma states, which can be doing all sorts of different things to your brain. And you could be having multiple personalities, which are existing in different planes as well. Another question is, do you think they're connected to you? Or do you think that like, I mean, imagine if you have dark matter, do you think that if you hit your hand, is it affecting other beings and other realities in some way, you know, or if you hit their hand, does it affect you? Yeah, man, that's super fucking fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so you think that a lot of it is more inside of us than um, something being outside, right? But I mean, I, and I think we have a lot possibly, more control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that there I think that there's a lot to that. Like, uh, myself, I'm a Christian. So I do kind of believe in uh, I mean, I do believe in God. And I do believe in, you know, uh, demons, angels, things like that. And totally. I don't and I don't necessarily know what they are. You know, I mean, I'm still open minded to a lot of these different things. And whether it's something physical or something outside of our like just our uh, what we can experience or feel, um, I don't think that really matters. I, I, I think I think in the terms of for you, it might matter more than normal people or I don't know yeah. for, for, for a Christian or for a religious <laughs> person. It might matter more because you're making choices based on that. And so but it, it's interesting because in religion, so much of it's been shifted around. It's still Christianity and the uh, the Old Testament have a lot of evidence about this idea of Adonai Elohim. You can read it in, in uh, Genesis 11 when it talks about Babylon, it refers to God in plural. You know, let us mm-hmm. go and distract them. And you can see with Job, the the sons of God were also came down to be with the father. Now is the time when the sons of God came to be with the father and Satan was also with them. So little bits that they kind of are putting in into your subconscious about the book of Enoch. But you have this idea that you have a being that's designed to serve God entirely. And again, the Bible doesn't have some of those books unless you get like a Catholic Maccabees edition. Or even then, you need like the book of Enoch if you want to postulate if some of these things are true that angels were not unable to do anything other than serve god and then lucifer was annoyed by that and wanted to make his own choice and now we live in this kind of uh closer to a dynamic and that's this weird thing because so many people say hey you know god created the world or you know the lucifer was created like god said let there be light and then lucifer is light creating the world and she's like all right we're separate you know, because darkness, God is darkness at first. And then she says, let there be light. And then it begins this whole process, which we then we then start to look at Christianity in, in a um, in a Gnostic sense or in a Manichaean sense. Manichaean meaning like, is this like half and half is the yin and yang? And you're, you're told, no, 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 that's not true because God is greater than the devil. But because of the way the world is set up. There's a lot more power in the hands of the devil than normal. However, the devil's still not doing anything other than what they're supposed to do. That's the real crazy thing about a demon. Like they're they're literally still just supposed to be tempting humans into doing what they want instead of trying to do the the greater thing to continue to uh, help the universe or the energy, the spirit, the geist ascend, right? And so if we're all trying to do better 
and not just be completely selfish all the time and obsessed with existentialism because existential hedonistic phenomenology sounds like a lot of fun or complicated, but a lot of fun until you realize that having a lot of stuff is just having a lot of stuff. It weighs you down. Norm Macdonald said he felt like he was building a mausoleum for himself when he bought a house for the first time. You know, you don't always need all that stuff. So we're supposed to be focusing on serving God because that's what makes you more happy. Literally, you have a better time if you're hedonistically obsessed with the higher function goals, mm-hmm. right? That's funny and interesting. Hmm. I'm going to have to ponder on that one for a while. <laughs> I like that. I always think of myself as a Christian, but I'm sure they would have burned me at the stake if they had the option, you know? Well, I would welcome you in, man. I, I sometimes I don't I don't even use the word Christian anymore. I really like. Uh, do you know um, Emmanuel Kingman? Do you know that guy? Emmanuel Kingman. Uh, he's got the Godcast, Goodness Over Darkness. Shout out to Emmanuel Kingman, cool nice. dude. But uh, he uses the same terminology I do, Christ follower. Nice. So I just. Well, Gandhi would have laughed about that, right? Because he said, "Like I've yeah. never met a real Christian. I've only met uh, you know people that talk about him, right?" Or that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love that quote from him, and it's depressingly sad too. At the same time, he's like, "I love your Christ, but I hate your Christians." Right? You know, because yeah. like he, yeah, I mean, he was Christ curious. That's another one that my friend uses, Christ curious. I like that, and he was like, uh, he was curious about Christ because he was all about pacifism and like he was all about uh, uh, like civil disobedience and like fighting the state, but like through, you know, I mean, civil disobedience. I love, I love Gandhi. Gandhi was a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was some, he did some stuff whispers about some creepy stuff too. Yeah. I don't know about whispers. <laughs> there were some shouts behind closed doors. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can help it. Yeah. I like what that small aspect of him. <laughs> no, I mean, but, everyone, uh, yeah. everyone has to remember good and evil and every biblical character, right? Was David good or evil? Yes. Yeah. Was every, was is every human full of evil? Yes. Are they full of good? Do they do the right thing sometimes? Yes. Should we focus on one or the other? No. Should we focus on both? Probably. Cause if that way we get a more holistic view and we try to help people become better people all the time. Right. I think that it's ideal, you know, so Gandhi wasn't perfect. Martin Luther King wasn't perfect. Malcolm yeah. X weirdly enough was perfect. So we just, you know, we just have to I love Malcolm X. Malcolm X was a bad motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. But Yeah. He's a good yin to the yang with fucking Martin Luther. Yeah. I think they're, yeah, but you can see also where um, there are reasons why Christianity has been bent, like in the 12th century, in the second century, the different ways they've looked at Christianity. Over, it's really hard to. For me, I was like always, oh yeah, you, know, you accept the Bible's word of God, no big deal. That sounds reasonable. It sounds pretty biblical. But then you got to get into the part where they were killing people, whether they believe the letters to Thessalonia or the city of Ephesus. Those letters by Paul to these cities are the, is these the word of God. No, maybe I, well, it does too. We weren't quick enough dead, you know? And so they're just killing all these people. So that is a, that's a thing where it's like, I'm not just saying that because, oh man, remember that Christianity has been through some stuff. We've lost a lot of what we understand is Christianity, the Ebionites and some of these early groups that really tried to follow what they thought was uh, the laws of Yeshua. And it's no coincidence that the years between 13 and 30 are disappeared, right? Cause those are the, That'll tell you everything. That's everything you need to know about like Yeshua and his life and everything he did. Because remember, he's in Alexandria. 
not even in Israel. He's moved as a baby for his own safety to Egypt, and he's living yeah. in Alexandria. That is a big city, a wild place to live. There is no more interesting story in the world than what Yeshua was doing as a teenager. In yeah, man, I want to know that. Yeah, from yeah, yeah from. <laughs> Maybe until, yeah, we, we don't hear anything until he's like 32 or something like that right it's like 30 30 he shows yeah. up in the desert he's like starved himself he's in a kundalini yoga gear and he's he's just fighting with the devil you're like whoa 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 and yeah. I, I i just the last thing was he was about to have his bar mitzvah and then you guys just <laughs> dude where's where's this dude 36 what happened yeah i knew Did someone he, who wrote a story about that like this in years and it's just like him and a bunch of teenagers hanging out in restaurants, drinking water, and like, I'll have one loaf of bread. Dude, send me that. Or <laughs> I want to read that now. Agatha, uh, I don't know Agatha, where it is. It's been a long time ago, but it was hysterical. Agatha Christie did have like uh, the missing years of Jesus, and it's it's not quite for me though. I want to go like I I was influenced by Agatha Christie and Kevin Smith. I want more. You know, I want yeah. the whole thing. You know, so okay. Let's go Tartaria. Yeah, good. Good idea. I, I got a question. So, uh, Tartaria, my first question. Is it a time? Is it a place? Or is it a people? All of the above. Man, you know what? If I could just find the opening quote from uh, Travels from Tartary with Ian Fleming, that actually might be the best answer right there. Let's see if we can find that. Tartary is... Not just a place, it's a state of mind. No, there's a better there. Hold on. We'll find the book. Peter Peter Fleming Tartary, right? So his brother Ian Fleming wrote James Bond. He wrote News from Tartary. And let me see if I can just find the, the intro page there. Um, uh, tar- tar- uh, Tartary is not just a place in a sense, but also refers to the air. This is not right. Whatever. I'm not, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna, I'll just paraphrase it. And you can find like the opening page. He talks about it because he was going to China and he was going to a city which was called Tartarstan. And now we call that city Beijing. But so many people were saying, Hey, what is this thing? I've heard about my grandparents were talking about Tartary. And he says, Well, you know, Tartary is not just a place and such, but it represents a confluence of, of peoples and ideas. And you can look to, the Persians and you can look to the Chinese and you can see how over time each one of them was distinctly recognized. But at one point they were just called Tartary by everybody who didn't know any better. Right. And so that mm-hmm. begins this kind of ju- ju- explanation that Tartary is, you know, a, maybe just a mislabeling in the 13th century. But if you go back and you start looking at, and you start asking all these people, you can see that's not correct. And even the Turks knew this, that they were part of this thing that they would call the Tartar. And that's where the word really starts to get resurgence again. And they start studying Persia and realize the R was a uh, apostrophe sound. It didn't really use an R sound for the Persians. And it was often the Bebe or the Berber, you know, for the Mm -hmm. Persians. And there's weird connections to the the Persians. And then you look at linguistic connections. I mean, there there are now amazing pieces of genetic evidence which are coming out in the next year. It's going to be all about genetic evidence of Tartary, of different groups that were uh, interacting with each other, but it's not just that. And it's more complicated than that because not everybody was mixing with each other genetically just because they were interacting with each other. There are groups that were, and you can see that again, mercantile class that established themselves in different places. But then there's also people in uh, language trade and with, you know, book trades. And so the Turanist uh, idea, the Turanist empire started to be a description by the Persians, by the Turks, by the Chinese to describe Tartary. And then 
they wanted to dis- differentiate themselves more and more from China because China had changed uh, in the last, in, especially in the last 200 years. In the 1880s, to the 1930s, there have been huge floods, huge flus, huge deaths, entire populations removed. And so the Russo Manchurians who were in the northeast of China and they were they looked more like you, really. And they had some uh, darkness to their features, but they weren't like Mongolian or something like that. They were the imperial family, you know. And then before them, you've got the cons, and the cons they were all redheads again. Back to these yeah. tall redheads with green eyes and everything. So it it shows the same progression that they met, they they married in, that they had localized f- families, and they do start to become uh, localized to an extent. But that they're all wiped out. You know, there's a giant flu that kills all of them, just about, and the royal family is wiped out. And so then continues on the march of the Han, right? And the Han are from North Mongolia more. But if you go even further west, then you're back to the Turks and you have Shuang Shuang uh, and Shuang Shing is the uh, Uyghur area that was supposed to be Turkmenistan or a new kind of Tartar Menistan or, you know, they had these ideas and the Japanese were trying to purport, uh, support them. The other thing is at the time, in the 19th century on, the Japanese were all but convinced that they had come from Turkey somehow through persia and the turks similarly like we have to reunite with our japanese brothers and they started finding all this evidence that the word khan and shogun because shogun was spelled with an x at the huh. was okay. the same word and you look at the hyen period the hyen period is really the khan period because k and h is a complicated sound at the time so you see they have uh stories in japan of them being part of tartarstan of having these uh hyen culture brings in all of these Asian and Arabic uh, concepts and names, Arabic names, and Osama, for instance, Osama becomes Osama, and that means uh, king or lion, right? So Lion King is connected to Osama through Persian and Japanese uh, and Arabic. And then also... Tony, you taking notes, man? Yeah. This is fucking college right here, man. North and I South North and South Japan, Musaishi, for where Tokyo is, and, I- and Isaishi, Is- um, Isashi, right? Isaishi, no. Yeah, Isaishi, which is the Esau versus Musa, and Musa is Muhammad is Mo, is, is uh, Moses. Moses is called Musa in the Quran, and in Arabic he's referred to as Musa. And Esau Ishi is Esau is also the son of uh, Jacob, right? I believe that is it Isaac. No, it's Isaac's son is Jacob, and uh, and Esau. Esau is his other his firstborn. That's so. so fascinating, man. Yeah, I've seen some pictures of like of Japanese Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and I, and I heard about this, that like Christianity had gone to uh, Japan, like a long ass time. Right. Ago. It's actually weird. So fascinating. It's weirder than people even real. And you can see uh samurai champloo and you'll see there's yeah. that, those of that. This whole show is kind of about the hidden Christians, but it's bigger than people realize. Cause Japan's really normalized since then. Right. I fucking love we, that show. <laughs> yeah. Samurai champloo is so great. Some days, some life, some this, some die in the ways of the samurai. I don't know. It was a great show, but uh, there was a thing with the hidden Christians that we don't recognize how big of the population of Japan were Christian about half of Japan were Catholic. Oh shit. Yeah. And they killed at least a third of the population. So the amount of people that were hidden Christians and it could have been more like the thing is when we say Catholic, we have to understand there are a lot of people that aren't Catholic and they're still part para-religious. So we would have had more of the 
Gnostic sects and you think about Islam again and Islam is a Christian para-Christian Gnostic sect, right? In a lot of respects, it's its own thing, but it talks about Judeo-Christian Abrahamic God with uh, Jesus and then just continues on like, you know, the same with Joseph Smith. These are kind of para-Gnostic sects. Manichaeanism was a Gnostic sect as well. There were thousands of these groups and we talk about conversion, like the conversos and the inquisitions in Spain. The conversions were to not just convert people, you know, not just to kill them, but to convert books, right? Converting all of the data from Arabic, you know, like uh, Hebrew was a dead language since two two BC, mm-hmm. BC. So they've moved on to using Arabic by that point, and it's into the 1600s, into the 19th century. They're still writing in Arabic all the time. So the Torah is in Arabic. Everything's in Arabic that we have. Going back to this point where we're like, wait, what is before Arabic? Well, Arabic has different scripts has different connections to Aramaic and Proto-Semitic. And so this Proto-Semitic language, that looks like this Etruscan thing. And we have to really analyze the connections between Slavic, Russian, and um, Sanskrit, and different, and also uh, Ugaric and Tamil. But the thing is, they're all different. And so it's like, what? How is Turkish related to Sanskrit? It's like the least, most opposite thing until you see that there are actually classes that existed there's 17 classes and you start seeing all the class systems that are connected You're like okay here's what it what happened you had a system of class of uh, a hyper class based system i mean again not just rich people and poor people and, or worker no this is 17 to 24 different classes of people i mean in terms of masculine and feminine it's doubled but it's still maybe eight to ten different classes of people maybe 11 different classes of people so it's crazy and they tell you this is how you say hello to someone who is wealthier than you. This is how you say thank you to someone who is more powerful than you. And the same logic is is shown in ancient Egypt, as far as we know, right? And again, half of ancient Egyptian stuff, we're finding that um, Akhenaten is the same exact time as Moses. Wikipedia says it, right? We're already moving on along to admit Akhenaten, basically, we can admit he's a guy who started a monotheistic religion at this he left Egypt. Uh, what's Moses' story again? Oh, he's raised by the Pharaoh. He's going to be Pharaoh. He's not allowed to be Pharaoh. Oh, he's Akhenaten. We're just about there. Society's just about ready to accept that six out of ten stories are the same story that have been retold in just some way. And that, mm-hmm. you know, and Jesus was probably a thousand years ago, according to the Fomenko timeline, which is one of the most important uh, aspects of the Tartaria chronology because we're looking at all these events that have been put on top of each other and Russia didn't use the Gregorian calendar until the 20th century. They had tons of discrepancies that they had to go through. And the Soviet Union was paying people, mathematicians, astronomers to try to figure out wait, when did this really happen? Because uh, we don't know according, I mean, our, according to our calendar, we look crazy because it would have said that we did this thing a thousand years ago. It would have had to have been 2000 years ago. Come and fix this. And then he's like, no, 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 no. You guys have it right. They're lying. There's no other way. And he just proved it case by case that the history has been extended. And you might think to yourself, okay, well, Jesus happened a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago. What's the difference? But if it was yesterday or a thousand years ago, right? When this happened, it was a big difference because you have yeah. Jesus as this relevant character that's separated from you by a thousand years. And it also tells you a lot because it says, wait, where was Jesus living then? Okay, Damascus, Syria, Lebanon, Alexandria, Egypt, right? Not These are in Palestine. These are important places the jordan are the these are the most important places and a thousand years ago those are the crusades which makes the most sense right after jesus the crusades you know and it begins this whole idea jesus was tartarian 
And it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely heard that for sure. Like, yeah, my friend has a theory. And his theory is that, like, Jesus actually came from, like, the Russian, like, Russia area. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you have you delved into any of that stuff? Like, right. So that's so I never know how far your listeners are ready to go. But here's dude, the let's let's go deep. So, we're we're good yeah. with maps. Maps are maps are usually telling you the location of a place uh, instead of the location of a people. And so if you had a more fluid map, you would see that people are moving around. And particularly important are these groups like the tribe of Israel, where they had to throughout history move to different places. And so where they go, they're establishing their new holy city. So several times over, they've referred to Moscow as Jerusalem or London as Jerusalem or um, sorry, Istanbul, Constantinople as the new Jerusalem. Um, there's another one, the Ovid or something like that, the Balkan, um, mm. the Balkan Israel. You know, there's all of these little spots around the world that they've gone to and they've started to say, well, we'll rebuild here, right? There's a place in Chile like that as well. Um, because of that, there are literally places where the 12 tribes have gone to that we think of as the Bible would put it in Canaan but it's not right. It's Moscow, legitimately Moscow in the 11th century. And we're thinking this burned down and it was connected somehow to uh, the 12 tribes. Well, yeah, like here's the distance you look at again. Also remember that there was more water at this time. There's not a, even without that, just looking at the way the map is now, you just have to account for Romania that they had to maybe walk um, you know, 200, 300 miles in Romania if it was today. But we know that Istanbul was a water path through Istanbul and going down, you'd go through Odessa, through the Black Sea and through Crimea. So all of these areas that they could connect to by water, as soon as they got out of Egypt into the the, the west, the northwest coast of Phoenicia or Tripoli or any of these Phoenician cities that are connected to the coast of of Egypt or Israel now, then you would just instantly go into Turkey. And from Turkey, you go into uh, Ukraine and into, from Ukraine you go into Russia and there are canal systems everywhere. So Russia has tons of connections showing this. And then the other thing is Syria and Damascus, right? Cause Syria was like a French city, you know, fancy, fancy with lots of lights and everything else going on. And they've recently destroyed it. So it doesn't look, and we think of now Syria as like, well, this place it was destroyed. But even, you know, in our lifetime in the sixties, Syria was one of the nicest places on earth. And it always had, cathedrals and churches and somehow it's been more and more connected with the ottoman empire and we use the ottoman empire as this excuse to erase history and in fact that was something i when you were talking about the episode um sorry it's like a million degrees here by the way (laughs) (laughs) there um there was the mehmed the second who was the caesar of rome he was the first Turkish Muslim Caesar of Rome. But the Catholic Church was like, no, no, we're not going to accept that. That did not happen. The Orthodox accepted it. Everyone else accepted it. And so you look at history books and it looks like it didn't happen in Rome. But it's obvious is, I mean, dude, when you run the Roman Empire, it's kind of hard to ignore it. So just all of these doubling over as examples uh, throughout the period that we're associating with in you know, 11th to 12th century, uh, this period is the Flamenco chronology hey, the closest thing we have to our correct history is the Arabic version of the history from the Ottoman Empire. It's not always right. And we're looking also at some of these books from the Songhe Empire and 
there's a lot more that we can say about history, but we just have to be really careful about believing now. It's like Poirot, you know, the evidence has been set up for us. We have to be very careful believing everything that's been set up in front of us. And, 100%. and what we understand about Jesus is also weird because at the time, all the pictures of him show him as a donkey headed guy. Right. Like, and you mm -hmm. look at like the, the original, um, Alex, hold on, Jesus graffiti. What's it called? Egypt uh, donkey. It was a, a picture from maybe like 200 AD Alexaminos graffito, the Alexaminos graffito blasphemous graffiti. And it's a Roman piece of graffiti. And it's basically the, some Roman guy saying, Hey, you know what those Christians worship that, you know, it's like, he's this, uh, he's this guy who came into town as a donkey he came as a donkey you know and so there's all these connections to uh seth the foreign god of egypt who was considered to be maybe a jackal or a donkey or you know, he's the foreign god connected to some sort of a myth mythical sethian beast and baphomet right because the earliest mm -hmm. images of christ are of a donkey headed dude on a throne that we have right that's the earliest stuff we have so there's before that. we took uh one of the borgias and Put that pretty white man on Jesus. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. there was the Arimatrea thing. And you can look at Erasmus as trying to humanize Jesus because there's a period where Jesus has a donkey skull. Christopher has a dog skull. They can fly. They go to hell. They save Adam and Eve who've been down there since issue one of the comic. You know, so like I had a friend that was trying to explain to me, like, you know, we just have fun on these with these conversations. But he was saying that he thought that, like, the jackal headed, like, and, like the dog headed uh, and the bird headed, like all these, like what we would call Egyptian gods and things. He thought that those were Nephilim and he thought these were literal. And do you think Jesus was a Nephilim? Do you think he literally had a dog, a donkey head? Or is no, this I, just okay? I think so. What I, I think it's interesting, just though, that these stories exist about a previous period and that the Romans are associating it with it, at least. I mean, on one hand, I'm more is it just to say he's a foreigner? Is that why they did the what? What Occam, is it? Why is Occam, that photo? Occam, Occam's razor is changing all the time, yeah. So the fact that we know that meta transhumanism metahumanism i think is a better term no one's using yet exactly and i'm going to try to define it better as beyond post-humanism or in between trans and post-humanism is this idea that you'll have multiple you'll have a server with all of your data that's always on and then multiple bodies right so you could have meta nate that controls nate one two three four five six seven eight and you could even have six or seven anthony's to do their thing and, you know, Meta Anthony and Meta Nate could then take the experiences of the six of them and upload them at the end of the day. Right. And you could just process it. And this is going to be kind of the way we look at Egyptian gods and Vedic gods. Right. I'm scared they, of transhumanism, but that sounds awesome. Well, I mean, you should be scared <laughs> of it because the other thing is those people will probably it's like those memories. You're just taking someone else's memories. They're not really yours. So that's it is going to be in humans. Don't do this. Biology doesn't do this for a reason. It'll make you crazy. The more knowledge you have, knowledge is sorrow, the Bible says, right? Wisdom. Theoretically, you should be able to serve God without having any of this information. And, you know, shame on you. But just kidding. But like, realistically, the more you learn this stuff, it's not bettering you because you're getting more if statements to your black and white question, yes or no. If now this, I'm asking if Jesus if, literally had a donkey head. You know what I mean? Look what you've done. <laughs> but but it's important because then you have to wonder then, did the Egyptian gods really have, um, did, did Vishnu really have avatars? 
or how close and how close are we to just doing that ourselves five minutes because it's not gonna be long until we're literally creating some sort of avatars and you can imagine an entire population of guinea pigs literally that have your essence in their dna so that just for the reason that you're let's say you're a coca-cola and you have a bunch of nfts and you want to save your nfts you save them in the dna of a species of guinea pigs and as they mutate for thousands of years that dna will still have those nfts all right so the data storage aspect is relevant and it, it's weird so occam's razor what's the simplest solution is becoming more and more confusing because this would be mm -hmm. simpler realistically we would absolutely have people who took on the avatar donkeys too we would have people who identify with the donkey self yeah. we're getting there right now man well yeah there's well, yeah, demon like, self there's like all kinds yeah. of fun ones like people are getting real fun with it clowns i like clown girls i'm proud of them clown, yeah <laughs> well, you know, that's still a human right like it's still like a human character but there are so many people who are disassociated to the point where lizard guy yeah, yeah lizard guy um i don't know i I just know that there is a lizard guy. Your lizard guy might be different than my lizard guy. That's true in terms of archetypical lizard guys. But the ones that I've seen, he's got the, the shaved pointy teeth, dyed his, tattooed his face green, implanted silicone okay. lizard eyebrows. He's going as far as he can go. Bifurcated tongue. The, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty Bifurcated amazing. Bifurcated tongue, man. You know, good for them. It's a choice, America. But like for me, it's not so much. But I think that's interesting. And yeah, we are at a point of uh, post-humanism. I wonder though, if we can mitigate that with the metaverse more, if you don't, if you're a man living in a woman's body, does it matter so much if you can be a woman in a video game most of the time anyway? So I think that you can mitigate it hmm. and you could start to have more of a, yeah, you know, okay. So I have some things about me that aren't exactly the way I wanted them to be, but I can still, I can. Well, that just kind of turn it into like a weekend warrior sort of thing though. Cause you're not really committing. I'm not really cutting off my schwanz. I can just go, I can put on my helmet and then I can be the sexiest lady I want. Well, so in the metaverse, it's a scarier. And, I mean, and, and you know, like Unix were a thing for a long time. You read 1984 or um, Brave New World, or they, they talk about the resurgence of Unix too. So, Unix culture is something that mm -hmm. people don't really consider the connections. Like, this is not that new exactly. The main yeah. newest is antinatalism, if we're going to be able to actually start to produce kids without uh, women. And there's reasons why a lot of people are pushing for that because I mean, women, elon musk i don't think can, that him and grimes really had those kids i think they were lab babies i mean women <laughs> women uh women can't focus so much on their careers when they chemically become addicted to a baby that's what studies have shown so society you know is it's kind of like giving adderall to kids uh, so they get up in the morning and then giving them depressants so they sleep at night and then ssri so they stop having jitters during the day instead of just fixing the school you know what I mean? Like just not yeah. making them do the bad thing. That's we could probably fix all of this. We could probably make it so that there's and you look at in Denmark and you look in, in places where there's support for women to have kids. It's not like this burden. It's actually, you know, it's a benefit in society. You're contributing a taxpayer. So they should be setting you up with a thing that helps you make this kid and, and everything. But because that's not the ideology in our society. We're always going to be uphill battling against the idea of natural childbirth until it becomes a complete factorial manufacturing process. And so then that's super fascinating. What you're saying, as far as like women having babies, like in in the Scandinavian areas and stuff, they look at that. The state looks at that as like, hey, you're benefiting us. You're bringing us a taxpayer. But like 
here it really does feel like there's this like uh, anti-human agenda, this depopulation agenda, and they, they don't want us to have kids. What, well, they don't do want you... us to have kids. I think them mm. creating in labs new kids, and you hear like the, really the end of the day, you'll have those these movies like Mother and Raised by Wolves are talking about where there'll be. I mean, imagine how clean uh, artificial womb is. It has no alcohol, no cigarettes, has no teratogens from whatever effects of just the environment that we've produced for these mothers so they can have a healthy situation the other thing is they, they can control what language they learn and they can control what information they have um identity can shift they have all these ideas about what the perfect person is like and that's really i think the scariest part we're not really going towards uh, a freer society by doing no. that but then again is freedom maybe i'm see because like is freedom have you seen the Libertine with Johnny Depp and he's uh, the Earl of Rochester, John Wilmot. And he was a real guy who died at like 30 from syphilis in this in 1699 or 17, you know, 20 or 1710 because he just, he couldn't help himself. He was too it sounds like Johnny Depp now. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. But it, it, the thing is freedom can lead you to astray. Right. And it's not, it's not focusing on doing the right thing, which is, it's a whole other issue. So maybe, you know, that's the weirdest thing. Maybe AI could produce a bunch of humans that are um, exercised of our demons or something like that. That's like not what no normal people are saying about AI, by the way. I imagine it's going to be, I mean, and there's a lot of reasons that you wouldn't believe that. For instance, AI being built by Facebook is designed to exploit you. So the core yeah. code of Facebook's uh, AI bot, whatever future AI comes out of that, it's going to be thinking unless they replace that code with completely new code how to trick you in like listen to you and figure out how to trick you into wanting something you don't want yeah so you've literally created yeah. a demon right and that's and then that's on top of the military bots which are designed to like target you really perfectly and everything so. well yeah, farmen, right it's the same idea of like a farmer is going to design the cow to meet his needs not necessarily the need to the cow i want i want well, the cow so. to like be the best cow it can be. It's like, no, like this one's fatter. This one has more milk. This one produces <sighs> more like. Thank God India exists, right? In India, that literally is the opposite. There are literally people like, I don't know. I just love her eyes. I think it's the nicest cow I've ever seen. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that there should be both. But I um, mean, now you have, you're right. You have cows that can't reproduce themselves, right? And you have to have cl cow cloning. You know how much of your meat's cloned, right? Like 90% of beef in the United States is cloned and in Brazil and stuff. They're from cloned embryos and then they raise and yeah you're eating you're eating raised cloned beef yeah and that's yeah. going to be everywhere very soon in order so humans being cloned we're already eating clones just it's a matter of like a minute you know, we are what before. we eat yeah yeah it just takes a minute to catch up but yeah that's fucked up <laughs> so I was listening to, I think yesterday too, you you were going off about Mormons. Oh yeah, I love the Mormons. I love dude. covering Mormons. I love Latter-day Wave. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Latter-day Wave, but there's this dude, Colobite. And so Colob is the name of this Mormon planet. And so some of my earliest videos, um, I was doing research in California. And so it's actually resurging interest is Deseret because the Mormon army was huge in going across California finding tunnel systems, finding these temple sites that they're rebuilding upon. They're suggesting literally are old temple sites. They're not even saying, you know what I mean? Like this is 
So it's kind of interesting because they have all of these stories already of a lost civilization connected to Christ, that there was a deluge in many, many, uh, Missouri. And when you look, I mean, it sounds crazy, but then look at the Pacific Waterway, right? The, the Pacific Waterway literally is the same map from the 1600s of California as an island. You've yeah, got yeah. This, it's crazy, but it's supposed to be from the Cretaceous period, you know, like uh, 10,000 years ago or something like that. No, 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 it's not. Like I've seen enough global warming propaganda and literal scientific evidence of it to know when humans have done something. Like I now can tell you this was not 10,000 years ago and we have been to these places. And so I'm going to try to do a tour actually with my friend giant. Um, we're going to go across the U S to a number of spots, both military bases and temples. And a lot of them were used by the Mormons in this process to build this thing that they were going to call Deseret. And, you know, I, I did a mm -hmm. thing today with Deseret alphabet. They're trying to create an alphabet based on, the Egyptian alphabet, but it looks really uncanny and some really interesting connections to Cherokee. And there's questions about what would have happened if they were trying to move away from English eventually. They're like, we'll start with teaching them the alphabet and then we'll move on. What language would they have gone into? Well, they would have clearly started studying Native American languages um, because Hebrew was dead. And so that's an interesting thing. We're using uh, dead languages to create new languages in, the, in, in Europe. Another interesting thing about Christianity, we always talked about Satanists in the 1500s and the Dark Ages who used to do the, the mass backwards, right? Doing the mass backwards. And then even in Anton LaVey's time, taking a record of a mass, playing it backwards. So literally backwards, right? Well, looking at the Etruscan language, which we couldn't read for a long time because we have the raping of Tarpeia, a holiday in Rome that they taught Tarpeia, Tarpeia, where they, they, the sacking of the Sabines, where the, where the Etruscans, Etaruscans, or Taruscans, they were sacked. The women were thrown if they wouldn't marry into this new empire that took over. And every year, Rome is celebrating the, 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 the raping of Tarpeia, the sacking of the Sabines. Well, we have books from just before that period and around that period written in Etruscan that we can't read because, of course, they kill the most of the people that can. Um, and we're using computers to try to take them apart and figure out what they mean. And we're really close. There's a lot of information that's coming out of them. But what's immediately obvious to everybody and has been since the beginning of looking at this thing is that the letters in Etruscan are mirror backwards to Latin letters. It's as if the Latin and Roman alphabet and everything about it is literally just backwards. Just they took, a, you know, and we have cuneiform tablets. You've seen newspapers. You print something. You start with backwards press so that it prints the thing. It's like they took a press machine and they're trying to read it. And they've created this new backwards language. And so it's interesting. There is this group of people that were saying, hey, you know, we're supposed to be doing this all the other direction. Um, and the other direction, of course, is also the way things are written uh, to be read right to left instead of left to right. You know, And so it's interesting where we're at with that. Fuck. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, so when you were talking about uh, the more, uh, so you were talking about the Moors, right? And you said that more equals wall, and I, it just made me think about the Mormons. Was that mm -hmm. it's was that on purpose? Did they? So I, I mean, according to their official books, it's because Moroni and the Mormons has to do uh, with the Nephites. But having said that, it's hard not to notice that Masonry referred to itself as the. Uh, Moorish sciences mm -hmm. and that the Mormons are essentially very similar to the Muslims of the, the, these, the Moses men, Mos, you know, Muslim is Moses men. So these groups that were all about Moses and his whole story again, you know, the, the, the several books in 
the Book of Mormon that are not supposed to be from the Golden Tablets. They're supposed to be from mummies that they found from Egypt, from Lombello discovering in crypt robbing tombs, the, uh, the Book of Abraham. And the scroll of Joseph, which they've never published because it was supposedly burnt because he was killed. And then it was sold to the Library of Chicago, never translated and burnt. But we have so many pieces of this story that connect Egypt and the way we understand Egypt. And it's weird because we're always told, hey, you know, Mormonism doesn't make any sense. And um, that the, the evidence they have is ridiculous. And like usually that's fun to make fun of. But I think it's more fun to make fun of the fact that it's exactly what they believe and it's exactly right every time it's like i mean if the guy's just guessing or he's got some esoteric uh dude and behind his you know like a wizard of oz that's whispering in his ear i don't know what but you look at the actual translations years you know now we can translate a lot of this egyptian stuff supposedly and it's a lot like math if it doesn't translate you can prove it you can just say it's not the same as something else right so this this particular book that he said was the book of abraham and the book of joseph he says in the book, you know, Abraham was nearly sacrificed by these priests uh, and he survived it. And there's these death rituals. And here's when he dies and they give them a special ritual. And it's just and Mo Mormons don't just believe in one God. They believe in a lot of gods. They just believe in not monotheism, henotheism. This idea that there's a best God of the gods, right? So Elohim is really important, mm -hmm. but there are still gods that would help Elohim or like the angels according to their tradition. Well, that's what Egyptians kind of believe. And Elohim uh, means literally means many gods, doesn't it? Elohim. There's a there is a connection to the idea of Elohim and Asherah, also meaning the family of gods, which yeah. is like the family of gods is interesting because then it also the Bible saying the plural the plural idea of gods, but. That doesn't, by the way, as like uh, if you're interested in Tertullian or Augustus or any of these. I uh, love Tertullian, man. Yeah, Tertullian is yeah. a bad motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, some of the things he said, I mean, granted, he did get certain people in trouble that I like as well. But some of the things he mm. said are very important. And the idea of the Trinity and the Trimurti and the connection to the, the Veda. So the Veda has got this idea of many, many gods, right? Well, they also had three gods to begin with. This creation, existence, destruction, Brahma, Shiva, um, Kali, is that right? Did I mix that one mm -hmm. up? <laughs> Sometimes I get my own gods mixed up. Anyway, uh, they, they all were supposed to be the Trimurti, which creation, existence, destruction. And as they spread throughout the world and through the through India, more and more groups that they conquered who had gods, they said, oh, yeah, where your god can fit within an, an avatar of the godhead. And so the godhead becomes more important. This idea that there could be a plurality of, of avatars and godheads within the one true um energy that is this server farm this guy's spirit that is god but I mean, god's beyond anthropological anthropomorphic beyond any of these ideas that we have but yet can still do all those things well there's your mechanics for it you know well if you can well, tap yourself into different avatars then on the next level up when you get into some divine space right like you're incorporating the concepts of the metaverse which will be here in a couple of years Right. I mean, so that's it, that kind of so what's also weird is in the 2007 to 2012, there was the tra Mormon transhumanist movement was really big and there was conferences. No shit. Like Mormons are so fascinating, man. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what is up with you guys? So I wanted to learn more about it. And um, but I'm, I'm more and more fascinated to the point where I'm like, you know, I get why they let people make fun of them because I would, too, if I was that aware of what was going on. I mean, they're doing fine. So. 
there's definitely something to look into. I, I wanted, so then I was trying to look into the Watchtower Society and it wasn't quite as successful. I didn't think I found as much, but I want to keep digging and there's a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses out there. Let me know what you know, because I'm sure there's stuff there too. They, his idea was 1914 was the apocalypse as demonstrated by the pyramids and he had some code in the pyramid. If you understood the pyramids, you could see um, the end of the world. And then when that didn't happen, allegedly, and this is the way it's taught to me by people who were Jehovah's Witness who quit, right? They're saying, then he said, oh, it did happen, but it wasn't the apocalypse. It was just the battle between God and the devil. Jesus was on earth. And that's what 1914 was like. And really, it, you know, World War One. So, I mean, he's, it's not like he's really far off. So, who's to say? But they did just recently take out his pyramid, the um, the pyramid for uh, Walter Mazur or whatever at the Jehovah's Witness in Philadelphia. They tore it down or removed it. I think someone had did defaced it so they had it removed and brought to a safe place interesting so i've heard you mention uh like humboldt county like a couple of times in your videos do you have a connection there well i mean I, i'm from california and i lived in humboldt for a period of time but uh the the thing also is all around the world humble is a very important guy humble university mm -hmm. i had a lot of friends with humble university as well he was an inventor but more he was an explorer and he was a naval captain but you'd be surprised some of the things he yeah. came up with on his trips and you know the humble squid is named after him which is it kind of gives you an idea how badass he really is but if you go down to chile you'll find that there's humboldt in chile as well so there's a number of o'higgins and humboldt in these different places o'higgins was another important explorer in south america too so what part of, what part of humboldt were you in uh, well, around, I mean, all over the place, but like Trinidad yeah. area too, into Grass Valley, I would come back and forth and do yeah. trips working and stuff. I love Trinidad, man. Yeah. He yeah. spent so much time in Patrick's Point, get stoned nice. out there and just say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, from I mean, Eureka, so. Yeah, that's awesome. You're from yeah. Eureka? I have a really great bowl from Eureka. It's like a hollowed out piece of one of those trees. I forget what kind of tree it is. The Sequoia so. Giants out there, the big redwoods? or I don't think it is. I think it's another. Hmm. Maybe it is, actually, but it's not. No. But I have a bunch of redwood stuff also, but I try not. I just live in Santa Cruz where I'm from, and I'm surrounded with redwood trees all the time. So I, I'm always scared of the idea of, like, killing redwood trees. Yeah. I'd rather just grow a redwood tree. Like, I've grown a few in my life, and it's amazing. They're now, like, now that I'm – in my 30s they're tall and real trees it's gonna be crazy to see them become grown-ups and stuff just, so i'm kind of weird like i'm a little weird about killing trees you know i feel you dude <laughs> yeah. i mean there are ancient fucking ancestors out here they're fucking beautiful yeah, dude, I, mean, yeah I mean I, these, I just bought a property this last summer and it's just so fucking awesome i have these old beautiful crazy trees that like this tree in my backyard's got to be over 100 years old and it's just wild dude yeah uh, I love Arcadia. It. I miss Arcadia. Also, a nice spot. Um, yeah, Arcadia's fucking beautiful, man. All the all the hippies smoking on the plaza, just like, yeah, I love that place, man. Dude, um, but yeah, redwood trees like that was one of the first things to woke me up to it. Like Gold Rush in California, because like where we're from is a huge Gold Rush place, and cutting down all the redwood trees. And I think my first video was whoa okay i get it because we were talking about feedback loops and we're looking at how they used water from this lake they completely destroyed it to turn it into desert in order to remove these mountains with dynamite and water so there's no more mountains in this place it used to be called la montañas it's now just literally a desert a plain of de what is going on and that they've dr dried out areas You're like wait a second these areas that used to be lagoons have been filled in with sand. I live at a beach. I see sand filling. I know exactly how the island of California turned into desert. And it's just it's scary. As you're going through it, you're looking at the redwood trees. And 
these pictures of dudes that are cutting a tree with a saw that's 30 feet long with another dude. They're pulling it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like, do you even, do you even know what you're, does man know what man does? You know, it's just, nah. Dog, yeah, man. I mean, going through the Avenue of the Giants, dude, it's, it's a serious, like spiritual thing. Yeah. Just like looking up at this fucking tree, man. It's just, it's wild, dude. Yeah, my mom used to fuck at like a forest ranger kind of guy, and so <laughs> when I was a kid, we'd go running around and uh, like he would he was trying to preserve like uh, like trees and stuff, and so he I think he worked for some sort of forestry thing, and so he, me and him would go hunt down salamanders, and if we found oh, like right. certain type of salamanders, then they then like we would tag the tree, and then they couldn't like harvest any lumber within like this area, so like dude, I saved a shit ton of like orleans and. Well yeah. done. That is the most Fern Gully story I've ever heard. That is so good. Like, I love it. it right. <laughs> yeah, I wish more people did that. And it's crazy. You probably could do. I mean, we could probably figure out a way to facilitate that where people take photos of trees and they upload it to an archive. And just it's socially done. So it's almost impossible to destroy things anymore. Because the more and that's what I'm finding. That's one of the reasons I do my videos, because the more you can. um bring a light to something the more you can shine a light on something the harder it is for them to tear it down yep i love it man mm. let's talk let's talk a little bit of box saga man dude we're, we're going deep tonight we're doing a part two we're doing with uh dan anaki and uh andrew uh, andy from the deep share we're Sweet. doing uh we're doing the dark stuff this episode. they're some of my favorite people i feel like <laughs> If you want someone who's really like, uh, I feel like he really jives, Andy really jives with the box saga. I I think it's got a lot of important stuff. And it's one of maybe, you know, a number of books that we found that are from people that have survived um, or come from a, a culture that survived a little bit beyond this in the maritime culture. And But there are, there are some weird things that are the focuses. And maybe, you know, Andy does a better job just uh pushing away from that but i have a hard time you know okay box saga you got a guy who's raised on a boat from a crazy sailor man and his his um is it him or his father has his son he's his mate he's okay i got it his father has his his son with his daughter right so his mother is his half sister and this is as scandinavian as it gets but also, it tells you so much more about what was going on in terms of this idea of royal families, Caligula, mm-hmm. uh, royalty, what royalty was doing with genetics. And it's still a big thing today. People don't really understand how um, centric ancestress really is to ancestry is to the royal uh, families. But it's it's clearly the thing that, that drives everything. But the box dog is not really obsessed with incest. I just can't help but like that's just something I can't help but think about when I think of the box saga. It's there. Dude, it's there. There's a lot of things that are just there. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> it's but fascinating, you know man. I love it. If you went to someone's house for dinner and had a really interesting conversation, but their mother was also the sister or something like that, it was, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, okay, like that's uh, that's something to take note of. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I should probably just leave it. If it's at the dinner table, I should probably leave it. But, you know, <laughs> having said it, you know, the thing is from there, there's benefit. I don't want to say the benefit, but I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, the fact that he's isolated from society means he doesn't know what changes are going through, particularly in the 19th century. There's a lot of changes. People being arrested. People are being um, inc- um, sent to insane asylums for a thing called Napoleon's Comet. I, I didn't really... During the Tartaria thing, one of the things is you got the 1600s, the book changes, the book burnings, the Fomenko calendar. The 1800s, two generations later, 
you have kind of this consolidation of whatever proper territories are left that have been kind of autonomous still because there are still are a few left and there are 260 days of comments that rain down and we call it napoleon's comet but it's really like from 1811 to 1812 non-stop for a whole lunar year like 260 days just non-stop you know, what is happening and it's not just comments there are earthquakes the mississippi runs backwards it looks like other river systems do as well we have a lot of examples of weather changes in 1811, 1812. Regardless, over the next few decades, anybody who mentions it, if you think that Napoleon and the comet had anything to do with each other or that uh, him winning or you know, might have been affected by the weather or if the weather patterns you know, brought down your old country, and that was a big thing, old countries, right? Uh, because Germany didn't exist. Italy didn't exist. These are all names for new places. There used to be, you know, Spain was five different places, right? Catalan, Galicia, whatever. So we have to get used to this idea that Europe is as new as America. It's made up just recently. So here's a guy who was going to all these places before that, when these had older names and what they really were like. And the best records they have, like the song of the names, you know, at the time in the, the Scandinavians were telling you the names of the kings back for 10 generations so again with the famanco timeline he knows exactly the true kings and then talks about how language is stored in phonetics and that's a really important thing this idea that it looks like he understands better than a lot of people that have survived from the phonetic period that you're trying to create a language for people who don't read it yet right and that's what phoenicians were doing they're saying okay well beyond the fact that we've got these hieroglyphics which are designed to help people into intend our meaning we can literally give them sound records and they can produce those sound records if we do it right. So there's just thousands of people in Timbuktu and Tahuti. You know, Timbuktu's books might have actually come originally from uh, Twi uh, Twilight Mist, by the way. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, Timbuktu's books might have originally come from the Thoth libraries, right? And the, li and the libraries of Thoth might have actually been these ancient comedic books, the, the Batahotep script that we we're talking about, Joseph Smith's Book of the Dead translations all come from. They look like the same as Patahotep. Patahotep might have actually been Joseph uh, or Yuya from our understandings of continued chronology of history. So wait, we just spiraled on box saga. Yeah, okay, so back to the box saga, which was that the Phoenician letters are designed to uh, insinuate some symbolic logic, which is the same thing we're hearing about Mayan symbolism. That there's 300 to 500 letters because it's partially phonetic, but also has hieroglyphic aspects and mid-Egyptian into Coptic. So there's a lot of evidence that this, and again, mathematics, mathematics every step of the way. Cuneiform, not a, a language meant to be um phonetic it was a, meant to be a, a ge geometric language okay and so many other languages that we don't think about for other purposes like you might think that this like symbol is for a sound when you're right but it's not for the sound you think it is because they could all be ha but this is a frequency of 2600 ha or this is a frequency of 2200 ha and in chinese you have intonations so we know that tartarians mm -hmm. are using intonations so if you have an entire language that's literally sound and then that's what Euclid was using. That's what Pythagoras was using. Pythagoras was using this to make music. Our entire musical scale is based on this lost language that's connected to the Bach saga. So that's pretty neat. It's important to give Bach some credit for all of that. Having said that, though, yeah, he's a crazy drunk whaler. Yeah, <laughs> was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's yeah. probably in Valhalla now, the way things went. Yeah. Now. 
Yeah, man. I mean, those st- yeah, the whole box saga thing, man, it's so fucking fascinating. And there's so much to it, and it was so complex. And he has, like, an answer for almost everything. And it just – it's the coolest thing. I mean, I kind of hope it's true. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, right? Fair enough. And then let's see here. Um I can't wait okay. to listen to that. Are you guys doing that later tonight? Or is that yeah, we're doing that tonight. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait to hear that also. I, I'm always interested in hearing, you know, anything on the box saga. And Andy did a lot. Last time I was on the show with Andy, he did a lot of interesting, he had some interesting stuff to say. So gotta, yeah, go, gotta go deeper. Yeah, Andy's fucking brilliant, man. I love he just like, he'll take this and then he like just goes. Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty much like you too, man. I'm digging it. Let's see here. Egyptian guy. A Bigfoot might be a Nephilim. Let me see here. What's your favorite? <laughs> I got all these fucking crazy notes, man. Gene flow and hominids. We got through that. Kind yeah. Of. I mean, Bigfoot what? was your grandmother, or at least mine. No, we're all it's definitely somebody's grandmother is Bigfoot, and that's nice. Okay. Well, see, I was like, and I was thinking about this today. Like, I'm not stoned, but I was thinking about this today. I was like, because red hair is supposed to be like a genetic mutation, right? And so, and do you think? Because the mammoths had it. Mastodons, we see mastodons have the exact same gene um, for different chromo variants in hair. And in you have redhead mammoths, blonde mammoths. I mean, it's it's adorable. So clearly that that sequence either jumped. And we, we love talking about Native Americans eating uh, the eagle eye in order to get the eagle eye. But maybe, yeah, genes can jump or that it's just... Something that Chardin said, I love Teilhard Chardin, the Jesuit uh, priest who studied uh, singularity, the new sphere, the omega point, the divine milieu. He said that a lot of what we understand as biology from the records of biology and a lot of what we understand from ideology and philosophy from the movements and choices of people really are connected. But no one seems to want to think about that. And it's funny when you talk to a scientist today because of that, because they said, you know, very soon we're going to be living in Gattaca where people can choose their children. And I'm just like, well, I mean, do we, what, what? Uh, we live in that world now. Women are choosing their mates and their children are, this is bio-intentionality is, is, is a part of gene editing and it's, it's a normal thing. So we might not realize how much we're able to manipulate our, our DNA through conscious effort, through diet, through action, through even just breeding with other people, but even just through choices in your own lifetime, um, people have changed their eye colors and all these weird things, right? So mm-hmm. we could be introducing sequences we don't realize. And then there's the whole junk DNA not being junk, but really digital Noah's archive, DNA, digital Noah's archive, that we have all of the different sequences in us. A lot of them are turned off and then we can turn them back on. The uh, primeval, prom- Prometheus uh, gene, and um, you know that, that could be a real thing, that we have so much DNA that we could, act, uh, we could actually excite and turn back on that we don't even need adenovirals or anything else like that um, because so much of it's already built into us and it's already built into our mutation line. Then there's also whether we, we can extend our human life by removing all of the viruses yeah. that have been stored in our DNA mutations for millions of years. Maybe we could get back to 120 or 600 before Abraham. It was 600, right? So mm-hmm. we might, yeah. was it Moses is 120? I forget what the deal is. They make a rule after the flood. He's like, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys need to calm down. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking like the way you phrased it. Like when you have a phone, you know, you have all these apps that just has all this extra stuff on it, all this tracking technology and whatnot. And 
I mean, at some level, I think that we are biologically engineered at some level, and we probably have all of this stuff embedded in us, and on some level. <laughs> and then, I mean, clearly, also, there. you can access it too. Like, so, like, if you were to be high all the time, you know, I think Shulgin said this, you might look at a tiger and be like, wow, pretty, amazing patterns while it's eating you. So, Genetically, it doesn't make sense to be high all the time, but you yeah. can have the the uh, the hook for the loop. You can have the the door for the key. And then if the key exists in nature, and we got this undulating mushroom that has these humans, which are these, you know, the homeostasis. The homeostasis cathedral is this mushroom that's connecting all of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And it's bringing nutrients into all these things. We don't realize how brilliant a mushroom is, but you can look at Paul Stamets talking about neurons are stored in this giant meatball everywhere, the literal memories and connections, and it can experience things. But humans are like undulating, um, uh, spelunking scuba divers just attached to the mushroom. We leave, we come back though, because we're always going back to what it's connected to. So realistically, it's not just the mushroom, it's all the plants in between that are giving you coffee or whatever else. So this whole society that's been built around exciting things that are a part of you, right? Like so cannabinoids you have in your brain, but you have to access them with nature. It kind of makes sense that you can't access them, access them naturally until you have set yourself up to. Once you were able to do that, you know, and it's interesting that 500 miles away from each other, the ayahuasca plant, and it's, um, I forget which route has to be, you know, from another part of Peru, mm -hmm. but there's two parts they have to mix together and they're from so far away from each other. How did they end up realizing that mixing them together would cause this effect? They said right? the spirits told them. Yeah. So yeah, I love know, that. there's something to this idea that there's actually like an, a, a data that exists that's co maybe coherent, if not conscious, but, but maybe what we have to redo is redefine consciousness. So do you, I mean, cause that's the next thing that I was going to talk to you. Like, so what, what are your thoughts on like either? Cause I've had friends that would talk to me about this. So like the idea of like past lives, maybe, uh, or do you think that there's, or like an Akashic record? Do you think that, so my friend has this theory that like these people that think that they have had past lives, that they think that they've like, they've lived throughout this time. They're actually accessing like, like family memories, like ancient memories from like your ancestors and things like that. Do you think that there is anything like that? So on a couple of levels, one, I think that, you know, of course it exists, but we've been designed not to access it because it would drive you insane. If your dad was beat up by somebody and you hated everyone that, you know, you'd have prejudice that would be out of control unless you just learn. And there's a, a proxy of data. So we've done our best to separate ourselves from the natural phenomenon of uh, like hive mind, swarm mind intention. And you can see that every baby is trained away from it because babies believe it's like peekaboo. You have to learn that um, your experiences not everyone else are having and that you don't know everything everyone else knows and they don't know everything that you know and like that is something in terms of identity that is not natural a child learns that uh as they start to become an individual and their identity is formed according to sunni's law or if you use moore's law but you extend it to sunni's law the idea that every quantum computation in a string of order of operations requires a certain amount of time to process. So let's say that it takes, you're going to process every lifetime ever. Right. And I could do them all in a computer where I've got a bunch of matrix people plugged in and they're going to process the lifetime. I could do every single lifetime at once 
it would still take a certain amount of time to do the order of operations of a life, right? So I'll still have a lifetime to process every single lifetime. It could be that every single lifetime is happening in tandem simultaneously. All the past, all the present, and all the future are all just simultaneously interacting and that they're all interwoven, which makes the most sense when you think about radio harmonics, this idea of holographic, that you're in multiple places at once. I mean, we were talking on my uh, Tachyon show about the one electron theory, this idea that there might just be one electron that's everywhere at once. It's not that there's more electrons or ionized. It's just that there's, it's consciously this, this, this flow, this ether that is God or whatever that is the, the breath, the divine breath that's in everything. It doesn't have to be a multitude. So if that's the case, yeah, I mean, it might be, you know, that the entire universe is happening simultaneously. But I also like the idea that there are resets. And so the the thought the Gnostics had was that God changed when Jesus came because God used to be more mean. And now God's kind of reflected and chilled a bit. Right. And so that God learns, but more God's universe changes and becomes more perfect through learning through the the citizens or the the experiment so if there are resets which the greeks have talked about and these other civilizations have talked about it could be that you have uh you know like the mayans you've had 12 the 13th is coming and this is this hyper perfection concept that they're working on whether or not they succeed whether it's a thousand years of peace or of uh damnation that's a whole other question but fascinating man that is fucking interesting um i have another tartaria question for you and i don't know if you've heard this theory or not and i thought this was a lot of fun so they were talking about how like there was different like you know like city states and different like hordes right uh and this is like if uh i guess anyways that it potentially stretched because of like the land bridge connection and that the Tartarians actually took quite a bit of like, uh, like even like, yeah, like California, all of like that whole Western area. And that actually the United States, when we were moving westwards uh, for our, uh, I can't remember what, I never can remember what that's called. uh, When they want to go from sea to shining, shining sea, you know, that um, manifest destiny, their manifest destiny, right. Where they were actually fighting, the last of the Tartarians. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can I find that was the most fascinating thing, man. At very least, right? So even if you don't look at them as organized, you have to admit that you've got all these enclaves of Russian Orthodox old folks. You have these uh, different groups in Santa Cruz that are the Russian Orthodox that were there in the 1800s. And yeah, from Alaska, which was Nova Angelisk, all the way down to the Spanish territories when the Spanish were interacting with the Russians. And again, when we start to look at Itaruskin and Thoracia and Rus, the Russians were so many places that we don't even really recognize. And when we call something Russia, right? I mean, this is a continent, is Eurasia is all it is. You know, there's a bunch of different people that live there. There are people that were in charge that aren't anymore. And new people that weren't in charge are in charge now. And they've, this is part of Russian history that their uh, nationalism extends, extends beyond the, their genetics or something to that ex- extent. But there are definitely connections. And if you look at all these different places, there are star forts in Hawaii, star forts in, in Alaska, all the way down to San Diego and in San Francisco in these places. And again, in the mountains. So in the mountains became a lot of the footholds. Same story in South America. When you look at the Quechua, the Mapuche, these different groups, you're like, oh, wow, this was their last stand in like 20th century. Well, yeah, because for 400 years, they're continually pushed aside. You have more and more famines and wars, more and we don't really understand artillery again. Like during 
the civil war with the air balloons that are dropping bombs on people and making clouds because they had rain machine uh, mm-hmm. carts. They were producing these crazy gases to make these huge uh, vaporous clouds. And then they would blow up explosions, which would then put dust particles in the air. And they're pretty good at actually making it very least it wet and impossible to see through. So, I mean, the the amount of destruction that we went through at that time. Yeah, it's like the question is whether or not they considered themselves to be uh, part of the Tartarian Empire in the 1800s. I think Mm -hmm. by the 1800s, they knew they were kind of on their own by the by the 1690s most of the energy systems were wiped out. And so what you have are very civilized people that are doing their best living in these buildings that have lost electricity for generations. Yeah. Maybe two two to four before all of them are completely destroyed. And that still doesn't destroy them. Like you go to Tartarstan and in Tartarstan, you can see there's some of the greatest architectural marvels or mathematics are out of control. Um, and they consider them, I was talking to this girl in one of my videos, like, uh, survivor accounts of Tartarstanis. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I'm a Muslim, but it's kind of like yoga. And I practice this like, wait, this is not the way Islam was described to me. Tell me more, you know, and you're just, okay, well, we used to be before, um, grabbing a bunch of people and using them to convert other people. You know, Islam started out as this kind of philosophical movement and before Christianity spread to the Westboro Baptist. So did Christianity, yeah. arguably, right? You know, so there, there's a lot of these things that we think, oh well, the worst of something is it, or the best of something is it. And no, it's just this this confluence of ideas. So you will find a lot of the old faith movements talking about being associated with uh, a beautiful um, fairy tale like civilization of Tartaria that's magical because they have automated machines and lights at night and things like that. So like really small Slavic dreams, but they're still very practical things that you know okay yeah this is what when we look at cordoba we see they had water wheels water mills and then it gets really crazy in the 17th century because of iconoclasm the 70 80 years wars and things like that in holland because you start seeing they're tearing out all of the water mills you know we think of holland for the mills well i mean again um turban and tulip tulip means uh turban in dutch and the the connection of these spaniards controlling holland which was controlled by the Ottomans, right? The Arabs, the Cordoba Caliphate, and Spain was controlled, and and Netherlands were so a very um, connect, Arab, very Arab place. Which is why they have lenses, why they had all this crazy technology coming to Holland, why hashish was there, why canvas came from cannabis, and why the Constitution was written on it, and why it continues having a lot of these Moroccan uh, sovereignty rights. You know, this is a continuation of of these older ideas. And even an atheist, right? Spinoza. How could you let an atheist exist? Well, he's not a true atheist. He just believes that God is math instead of a personification. How is that possible anywhere else except that you know that Islam allowed for an Arabesque, non non-personified version of the law? So yeah, you know, Holland really kind of fulfills this uh this culture. And then they go around the world because they get away with it. There's no more uh, there's now there's no more Spanish Empire. All of the Spanish ships are controlled by the Dutch East Indies Company now. And then just show up places and take things over. I'm like, all right. And at that point, after 200 years, 80-year war in uh, Ottoman and being Janissaries, yeah, a lot of them are just down to take it. You know, and that's <laughs> that's why you, like, we didn't see what was there. I mean, there wasn't that much there. It looks like there was a volcano that went off, and it was a small fishing village. And uh, we found a bunch of gold and uranium. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, Brother. We appreciate you so much. That was fucking awesome. I'm going to have to re-listen to this probably 10 times. 
gonna take some <laughs> notes. <laughs> dude, uh, I love it. I'm glad I'm glad you invited me. It's a lot of fun. And thank you for all the awesome questions, dude. You know. Absolutely, man. I've been studying your videos, been trying to ask you questions that you haven't been asked, but you know, that's impossible because you were like the most fucking you are YouTube at this point, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also weird yeah. that they haven't gotten rid of me. And like every few days they give me a strike and then I have to talk to customer service and they'll remove it again. So on thin ice, but we'll, yeah. we'll try to get through it, you know, but in the meantime, you know, just, just be worried about it and hit me up on Andreas. I mean, go to Odyssey instead, just in case, but yeah, subscribe everywhere and, and try to tell YouTube that you're grateful that they have good content. And that's why you keep going there. Right. Otherwise they're, they're going to stop existing. Not me. Hell yeah. True. Very true. And you have a Patreon too, and people can support you on your website as well. And uh, you have some cool shit, and maybe you're going to start selling some shirts like the one you're wearing, hopefully. Dude, I'm going to get um, some really, I'm going to work <laughs> on that. I'm going to find a supplier for like my kind of gear. But right now, if you get my shirts, uh, I have a lot of t shirts that have like QR codes and cool stuff. So, you know, you can get bags and flags and, uh, you know, fanny packs and all kinds of gear. And I make a lot of pretty cool gear. So if you want some vaporwave, mudwave stuff that looks cool and you can have a conversation about and that start an icebreaker with, yeah, get some Exertus gear. It supports me and it supports the movement and it, you know, gets people talking about it. So hell yeah, brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. We, we appreciate you. Uh, we'll bug you at some point to come back when we have better Definitely. questions and yeah. Dude, always awesome. I really look forward to watching your episode later tonight, and uh, I'll see what else you guys are up to. So, Anthony and Nate, thank you so much, dudes. Cheers, brother.